Today is our last day of the Win-Loss 101 series. We originally created these episodes to help you get your first win-loss analysis project off the ground. If you've conducted at least a handful of win-loss interviews, you've probably discovered some valuable nuggets of information for the product team, the sales team, the customer success team, or marketing team, along with some things that you might wanna make your executive team aware of. Understanding what's important to each team and how granular to get with each leader will have a big impact on whether or not they take action and actually make changes based on what you share with them during your readout. This is another episode where you'll probably want to have a notepad handy, so I hope you enjoy it. And if you've been with us through all six episodes in this series, I just wanted to say thank you for tuning in. I hope you subscribe and that you come back for more valuable insights about how B2B companies are utilizing their buyer feedback to improve win rates and drive more revenue. The only thing worse than losing a big deal or missing quota is not knowing why. Here at Closed, we've conducted tens of thousands of buyer interviews for hundreds of B2B companies, and we've uncovered what drives your prospects to buy, not buy, or even churn. In each episode of The Win-Loss Show, we'll show you how you can leverage feedback directly from your buyers to help you increase your win rate, perfect your sales experience, nail your marketing messaging, build the right products, and hit your quota with confidence. Welcome to Win-Loss 101. This is the sixth week, the final session of Win-Loss 101. I'm excited that you're here joining us. And I'm also excited to be joined with two amazing win-loss experts. Kirsten Moore is one of our consulting team leads. And Scott Barner, returning guest, Back to the is one of our uh, senior consultants. And today they are going to talk to us about some uh, probably the most difficult and most important aspect of win-loss analysis. So I'm really excited to dive into that. But before we get into the meat of today's lesson, I wanted to go over a couple of important announcements. I wanted to remind you, especially if this is your first time watching one of these lessons, that um, if you go back, if you go to winloss101.com and you go through and do the first three lessons and complete the homework assignments, we are offering three free win-loss interviews. So there's huge value here, um, especially in, in the, the economic climate that we're in right now. We're in a bit of an economic downturn. There's a lot of companies that are wondering, are we seeing pipeline shrink? Are we seeing less deals close? Are we seeing clients leave because we're doing something wrong? Or is it because of economic reasons? And you, if you don't have clarity around which one of those things is making your buyers and your customers make the decisions that they're making, you could change your entire, entire go-to-market, your marketing strategy, your sales strategy, your customer support strategy unnecessarily. And so I, I just want to make sure like these win-loss interviews could help you gain some clarity around whether or not you're doing something wrong or if the struggles that you're facing right now are due to factors outside your control. So that's something to take us up on. It's almost like you're suggesting win-loss feedback can be used to take action if you <laughs> report on it well. Yeah, that's a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today. So Scott, you, yes. made, the, you made the segue. Yes. If um, I had been born a couple decades earlier, I would have invented the Segway. <laughs> would, like a motorized vehicle or just a master of Or the conversational. Um, Hopefully the conversation. You invented that, that just Segway. Yes to both. Got it. Okay. So over the last couple of weeks, we've helped our, our attendees put together the groundwork, the framework of a, a win-loss program. And mm -hmm. hopefully 
conduct some interviews, start to yes. extrapolate and pull out some insights. And at this point, if they've been following along and doing their homework every week, they're like, okay, I have some amazing findings. Yes. And I want, I want to make change. Yes. And, and you did say right out of the gate that this can be the trickiest step. And I 100% agree. I think this can be the hardest step. And it will continue to be the hardest step once you get good at building win-loss programs. It can be easy to identify the stakeholder challenges. And then you get all this excitement. You go collect the insights. You get really excited by the conversations you're having. And then you look at this like mountain and you know like, wow, there's so much gold that's in here. How do I, how do I like pare it down to the most important things that matter? Um, how do I, how do I simplify this and present it in a way that the whole organization can align behind it? And now what do we do with it? Yeah. And I, I think before, before we figure out how to, well, you know, simplify it down or, or condense it or present it in a way that you can act on it, we really need to identify who needs that information or who would benefit from that information. Because if you have all of these insights but you can't get it in front of the right people, then it really doesn't do you much good. And so I think the number one thing you need to take in mind, take into account when figuring out how to do the readout is take a step back and think through who are the people in my organization that can take action? Who are the people that influence decisions? Who are the people that need, that understand the nuts and bolts of how our product or how our service works that could could influence or help us understand if the things that we're asking or the feedback that we've gotten is actually something that we can implement. So getting that audience is key before you do anything else. Great. I, and I can, I can see how it would be really easy to perform 5, 10, 15, 20 interviews mm -hmm. and have a mountain of great data that just sits in a silo and never actually impacts the organization. It doesn't actually result in change. And we got to remember the whole reason in week one, we talked about identifying a revenue problem that you want to investigate. And the whole reason that you did that is because we want to make a change that will hopefully move the negative decision drivers that we talked about last week and turn them into positive decision drivers. Like that's the ultimate, that, that's the ultimate evidence. I think that we're making progress here. Is that fair to say? Well, that and your revenue is yeah. evidence also. I mean, we're not the originators of begin with the end in mind, but we certainly take advantage of it. The connect the insights you have back to that problem. And sometimes it's easy because sometimes the answers just align perfectly with what you need to know. Um, sometimes the insights maybe don't like readily like align with that, that thing you thought was going to mm. be the golden answer. Um, but you just have to figure out like, you know, what is the data actually telling me? What's the story? Got yeah. it. Yeah. And, and when it doesn't align, like that's an insight as well, right? You thought that you would prove out a certain hypothesis. That's not necessarily the case. That's useful to know that maybe you're thinking about your value proposition in a different way than your buyers or your customers mm. think about it. So even information that isn't exactly what you were looking for is still information you can use. Right. Okay. So I want to go through this chronologically then. Yes. Let's say um, 
you the our, our our viewers completed their homework assignment from last week. They went through some of the interviews they've been doing. They've started to pull out decision drivers. They found like main categories and then specific action items or specific uh, specific decision decision drivers that are influencing their buyer's decision making. And they're all excited to start reporting this stuff that the this stuff back before you just start telling people stuff. Um, my guess is that you kind of want to organize everything and, and kind of prepare a readout of some sorts. So can can we talk about how to prepare for the experience of starting to disseminate some of these results? Yeah, I think I go back to, and if we're going chronologically, yeah. the logical step for me to start is I'm taking the insights and I'm trying to figure out my, or I'm trying to, I'm taking the information and trying to turn those into an insight. And what is an insight? I think that's like one of the key things that everyone gets stuck on when you're doing research. Um, you might have your your feedback that tells you something really clear, and it could be, wow, like user experience matters to us a lot. Um, people choose us for our user interface, and you go, okay, great. Like, well, what do we do with that? How do we leverage that? So, to try to take that information and go from just a statement to an insight, my little formula is okay. Like, well. For who does this matter and when did this matter for them? Um, and also, who are we against when that mattered? When you say for who does this matter, are you talking specifically about, talking about buyers, buyers the that audience. matter? I'm talking about the buyers that and I not the to. Not the stakeholder in the company. Yeah. And using that example of like, for who did this matter, if we're using that user interface is the yeah. thing that matters the most. Look through like when I was talking to people, who are the people that that matter the most for? Like one example that I had is I realized Oh, user interface actually is mattering a lot for admins. People are in that that admin role. And the reason why it matters to them is because they know that they can onboard the rest of the organization really fast. Mm. Um, that there was this like this part of like a client's user interface that made it so they could set up users and give permissions really quick. So they said, Hey, I actually was really confident that I could get them up to speed really fast. So my insight went from being we win because of user interface, but it's when we're selling to uh, IT administrators, user interface matters because of the ease of the experience. And so then we have two things. It's, to the admin specifically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now we have two things that we can do, two actions we can take with that. One is when we know we're talking to an admin, highlight that early to help us get an advantage in the sales process. And then if we are uh, talking to somebody who's a more general user, well, what's going to matter to them um, about the user interface? And then by doing some like further question, we found out actually, like if we're not an admin, there's actually aspects of the UI that they find confusing or that they don't like as much as a competitor. So now we can shore up that potential weakness where we wouldn't have found that weakness had we just stopped with, mm. we've got the best UI in the game. Yeah, that totally makes sense. What do you yeah. think, Kirsten? What are some things that, um, that, that our listeners should be doing to prepare for a readout? Yeah, so I think... I mean, we talked at the beginning at, about figuring out who your audience is. And so once once you understand who you're giving that readout to or, or you know, reporting out to, and you understand what Scott just mentioned as far as like where the insights are or where the, the information or data is coming from in terms of the buyer persona, um, then you can start to to build that story and figure out how you're going to weave it together in a way that, again, drives action. So I think it's important to recognize that there could be multiple stakeholders 
or stakeholder groups. So you may need to think through the story for each stakeholder group a little bit differently. Mm. Um, and then you're also, you're also the messenger. So we, we use a lot of quotes in our reporting from, from the buyers because essentially a buyer quote on it, you know, giving exact feedback is really powerful in driving that home. So it's important to, to recognize that reading out insights and, and giving a report to stakeholder groups can't be nerve wracking because, you know, you don't necessarily know how it's going to be received, especially if there's some negative buyer feedback that you need to, to present. Um, but you're, you're giving essentially the feedback directly from the buyer. Mm. And so, so, so kind of keep in mind yeah. that you're you're essentially the liaison. You're the you're the right. voice of the yeah. the buyer, and you want to use their voice in these interviews to drive the point home. So it's not your opinion of the data that you're sharing. It's like no, yeah. here's what I found, yeah. and here's three customer quotes that back it up. Yes, yeah, and I think here's why those are important. Like personally, I love when I have strong feedback, even if it's negative, because I know that I'm the messenger and I'm relaying something to them that's really important. And one scenario that happens is if there's negative feedback, you know that there's going to be pushback, um, especially if there's a broad amount of stakeholders. Um, if there's negative feedback about the sales process, sales managers are going to try to own that and push back and, and they'll try to say, well, no, the blame really comes from here. Um, but if you just are representing the specific quotes, I almost always give this little caveat that I learned from a client at the beginning of a readout where we were doing just that. We were passing on negative feedback. Um, a lot of the negative feedback was about missing product capabilities. And so product is firing away and saying like, well, no, we have those capabilities. So this is just wrong. Mm. Um, or the feedback is coming in and saying, well, we have that capability. So it just me must be sales isn't selling it right. And sales is saying, no, we're selling it right. You didn't build it right. And so we had the CEO that just kind of comes in and he's like, you know, we're saying that the feedback is wrong. We're saying all these things, but like, I'm looking at these statements right here from the buyer. And then he gave this thing that I think is just so wise the way he phrased it, that what we're looking at may not be what we think is the reality of our business, but it's the perception of our customer and the perception of the customer is their reality. So we need to figure out like why that isn't landing. And that restructured the rest of the conversation. So it became about closing that gap. And that's what led to us developing the plan that we could then say, okay, we're going to take these actions now, three months from now, six months from now, let's see if what we think is the reality and what the customer is saying is their perception are aligning. Mm. Hey, I want to step back for just a second, because if you know, going into this, that you have some strong feedback, whether mm -hmm. positive or negative, it's really important to pressure test that with, you know, for us, it's our main point of contact at the company. But if you're doing this internally at your company, pressure test it with someone from that team that the feedback is about, just because they may have perspective on the context around that and also how it's going to be perceived by the team when you do the readout. And it's really helpful to know what questions are going to come up before you get into the readout. And so I, I always like to take time to pressure test, at least with my point of contact, maybe an executive at the company to see what questions they have so that 
going into the readout, I'm prepared with the answers mm. to those questions. That's smart. It, it helps you because it's like the meeting that happens before the meeting. Mm -hmm. the, it's like yeah. this is the room where it happens, where mm. you kind of you kind of set up the strategy with somebody who knows all the important decision makers in the room and what they care about the most and maybe what you should focus on in order to get your point across or make sure that the change actually happens. That's and really smart. Not just that they like they know the the stakeholders and their questions, but also they just know the context. They might know here's some strong bit of feedback that maybe there were some changes that were taken that might have already addressed this. And so you look kind of foolish if you just step into a room and you say, hey, our number one problem is this. And they say, well, yeah, like we made this change so that we could address that. You look kind of silly if you don't know that, but you come and you say, buyers still thought that this was the biggest challenge. Um, we know that this action has been taken. So, and then you might be able to do some extra digging to say, was this a deal that closed prior to that change being made? Was it, we need to fix some like sales training to make sure that they're communicating, like, let's just make sure they're using the most modern up-to-date deck. And right. maybe like, that's going to be the, the fix. Because how often does that happen that you're like, yeah. we're going to do things differently now. And you do things differently for like a week and then everybody falls back into the old way of doing things. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And and it can also be validating if if your company has made a change. Sometimes there's a delay in, so maybe you roll out a change with the sales team you're closing deals that were still, you know, reached out to and still closed under the previous method or process. So if you're getting feedback that says you need to change something, but it's something you already changed, that can be validating dating that, yes, this change that we're making is what we need to see. Mm. Yeah. Here's an example of why I think win-loss can be this really cool real-time check-in what's happening. And then the reporting period can be a great milestone to see like what's happening, if it's working, that I had one readout where APIs and integrations was just emerging so obviously as an immensely important decision driver, um, specifically an integration, like a specific integration with a particular vendor. Um, and when we went back to that, it was weird because it was like equal parts negative, equal parts positive. And so when we did the discussion, like in the report, figured out, there's just a lot of confusion in the marketplace right now. And so by refining our questions, we came to find out um, the reason why there's so much confusion was because it was being driven by a specific competitor that was talking about this integration being more native and more dynamic than what uh, the client that I was working with was offering. So over time, we started to see this decision driver, this particular one, like move from being a, a mixed to more negative because of the competitor leveraging it to then a positive and in kind of just asking the buyers and being very transparent with like just why we want to know about this driver. What we were hearing is, I don't think actually the technology has changed with the integration, but this vendor has figured out their story. Mm. They were able to communicate it to me more effectively. So like by using that report as a milestone and having that high level conversation, we could then see if their efforts were making a difference. Got it. Okay, so just to summarize really quick, um, best practices for preparing for a readout is one, look for trends. Two, think about the stakeholders that these trends matter the most to, these decision drivers, these insights that you pulled. Real, rely on customer quotes and use those to support your findings. Talk to um, maybe some, some people that you feel comfortable pressure testing your insights with so that you can get context like 
hey, there's a, we're, we're noticing that we've got feedback that your sales process, there's a problem with your demo for this specific persona. And if the sales team's already implemented a change, you don't want to show up and be like, hey, your demos, your demo stinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to, you need, to, and so that do pressure testing will help you kind of learn how to deliver the results in a way that's more palatable for the people who can actually implement the change. Um, and then just think about the overall context of your business and, and the landscape of the company and the competitive landscape. And all those things kind of play into preparing like a really great readout of the information you're finding. Um, one last question I have is um, any tips on like, what if you find a really great quote, but it's not really a consistent thing? Like maybe, maybe you interview 15 people and two people talk about something and they were really passionate and really adamant about it, but you don't have saturation. Like you don't have a lot of consistent evidence that this is a problem. Do you leave those really juicy tidbits out or do you pull them in? Do you only talk about the things that are repetitive and consistent throughout multiple interviews? I think it depends on is the strength behind whatever that quote is Mm. and, and the message they're trying to convey. Because while it may, whatever that issue is, while it may only affect a small percentage of their buyers, if it has a the potential to have a big impact, either positive or negative, that's something you need to know about and kind of get get ahead of it. And so in reading out those results, I will, you know, give it with a caveat. Like we didn't hear this from that many people, but it's strong enough that I thought it was important to highlight. Great. And you can do what you want with that information. And that's been really helpful. I remember I had one client where there were just a few comments about the sales team not following up and just not being professional on the calls. And so I brought it up saying clearly, I'm not hearing this a lot, but I'm hearing it enough that maybe you need to look into the training that you have with your sales team. And that's when I learned that they had a rather new sales team mm-hmm. and it will, it was something that they could take action on immediately because they were working with fairly new salespeople that just didn't really understand what they needed to do in that case. That's a great example. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about preparing for a readout uh, of this information that you found. We've started to talk about um, like maybe what to do during the actual readout itself. So I want to ask some more specific questions about that. Like, do you have any specific pointers when you're in the room with the stakeholders at your company, the people who can influence change, what are some things that you can do to ensure that one, they take you seriously and, um, and two, that they leave the room excited and not deflated, excited to make change, excited about these new insights and not like feeling picked on or attacked. Yeah. So I, I guess I have one example to start with. And it, this kind of depends on whether this is your first readout or if you've done it before. But it's it's important to get the audience engaged from the beginning. And one of the ways that I've found to be really effective in doing that is if you've done a readout with them before and they've given feedback, make sure you start by summarizing. This is what we talked about before. These were your focus areas for this set of interviews. So this is how I'm going to cover those points because it shows that you are engaged with with their feedback and they have specific questions they want to answer. 
And so if they know that you're going to answer their specific questions, they're going to be much more engaged in the presentation. They'll probably have a lot more discussion during the presentation. And that's what I like. I like having a much more engaged audience. Yeah. I don't I don't love the readouts where I go, I deliver everything. And at the end, they're like, okay, great, thanks. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. so getting that's that engagement ideal. at the front is is really key. Great. And I think you could do that even when it's your first time, because assuming you did your homework well and did the things we already talked about, you know, and you can anticipate those questions. So call those out in the beginning. Um, I like to make sure that the, they know this isn't being done in a vacuum. Like if this isn't the first time we've done it, say, hey, we learned these things before. Here's some additional things that we've gained. If it's the first time you're doing it, say, we started with these questions. Here's some like tease the answers you're going to give. And then also allude to the fact that we're going to go do more interviews in the future. Or as we're going through this, be thinking about the additional questions that you would want to have based on these insights. Um, I also just ensure I have that kind of engagement out of the, out of the gate. It depends on the audience size. Like if there's enough people, like maybe there's a dozen people that you're having this readout with, I make sure my first slide that I show them is the whole narrative. It's the whole story. It's like, Hey, you hired us to understand why you won and why you lost in this interview set. Here's what we learned about why we win. Here's what we about why we lost. And then I'll kind of just always pause and say, okay. Now I've just given you like these reasons, what are the things that are standing out to you most that you're going to want to know? And I have my whole like, you know, narrative planned out, but just by signaling to them and giving them the opportunity to say, oh, this insight, like I actually want to know more about that. Then I can just address those people when I get to that point in the report um, to make sure like they're going to be the ones that are the most engaged. Mm. Go ahead, just a Kirsten. practical point on that. When when you're presenting, at least this day and age, oftentimes it's via Zoom or Teams or some other video conferencing software. So it's really hard to take notes if you're using both of your screens to present. So I also always have a sheet of paper and a pen in the room to take notes mm -hmm. because I can't always type in. That's great. So. Yeah, I also like to ask one of my direct contacts, like aside somebody ahead of time, to be my moderator. Um, sometimes if it's a small meeting, sometimes people just send their chats in. When you have your full screen up, you're not always able to like see those super easily. It can be awkward to say, okay, let me, sorry, let me minimize my screen. Let me open the chat window. But then if you have those readouts where there's like, you're in a QBR and there's dozens of people, just have that person ahead of time that can moderate the comments and then they'll be your go-to and they'll say, Hey Scott, like we got a question from blank about, um, and then you can address those. Right. I love that. But this kind of brings up a, a just one more thought for me. We talked about, um, like when it's your very first readout, we talked about if you're coming back and doing a readout again, what if you're coming back and doing a readout again, but it's the first time somebody has been in attendance, like maybe your entire marketing organization has had turnover and you've got like three new leaders in the room or, you know, sales leaders, marketing leaders, whatever. Um, some of the executive team has changed. Like, what do you do then if you have a history with the company? Yeah. Yeah. I had that two weeks ago. Oh, uh, cool. It's a client that I've worked with for two years. Uh, 350 interviews we've done. Wow. And the entire suite had turned over. And I'm presenting to 
25 people, um, three of which I already know, that's actually just a really fun scenario because many of them are new in the role. They have a lot of things they're thinking about. So straight out of the gate, it just establishes this high credibility of what I present to you right now is what has surfaced this quarter as the things that are the most important to know. Um, what I've serviced for you is also built on a lot of context against competitor one, two, and three over the last two years. You don't need to like tell them the wealth of things you've learned, but just let them know that what you're servicing on, um, you've surfaced these things for a reason. Yeah. And then if they want to know those additional things, like I think it really helped because they knew, oh, this is somebody that has a lot of history um, as they're trying to like assess their own new role they can then say okay this is actually something that i've been hearing about as i'm coming into the role and you've surfaced this can you explain also like why cool i think it also helps helps people feel more comfortable if you mm. you know give just a little bit of a summary of what you've learned in the past and then it's also helpful sometimes the questions that are asked are questions that you didn't cover or didn't get answers to in the current set of interviews but you do remember answers from past sets of interviews. And that can just be helpful to let them know, you know, we do have answers to your questions, even if they weren't necessarily covered in this, this readout, um, so that they do have confidence in, in the work and the yeah. insights that you're. So in a way, the person who runs the win-loss program can act as almost like a glue to hold the organization together when there's turnover and change. And new leaders might come into play who don't understand like the past and, and the and the strategy that you've been working on. It doesn't always happen, but it's fun when it has. Yeah. yeah. Another role that I think the the win loss like conductor, the win loss person can take is be a facilitator um, and help drive conversations forward. And just there's there's kind of this layer of humility that I think I talked about. Like when you're conducting the interview, have humility to know I don't know everything in this space and I don't need to know everything. I just need to know like what to ask a buyer. So when they say something, I can say, can you explain to me why that's important? Same thing for the report stage. We can know a lot about an industry competitors and a business when we don't work there day to day, like we're not going to know everything. And so you can service these things and say, Hey, this is actually very fascinating that buyers talk about this when they talk about you. Um, and know that there's going to be, if somebody owns product in the org, they're probably going to be able to read something and understand more than you do. Mm. Same with somebody who works on like pricing and packaging. So say, these are the things that stand out to me. Um, and point them to how they can go into the feedback and they can look for it themselves. That a lot of times when somebody asks a question, instead of just answering them, I say, that's a great question. Here's where you can go to do more research so that you can get additional answers. Yeah. And then follow up with them a little bit after and say, hey, remember when I mentioned that our pricing and packaging, the monthly active usage base is causing problems for users and you were going to go look into it more? What did you uncover? And now you're uh, refining your interview guide to get more specific answers in the next set. Hmm. Yeah, I similar to that. We've talked a lot about how the reporting is, you know, the person who has done the interviews or the research reporting out the insights. One of the things I love the most about reports and, and readouts is the feedback I get from whoever I'm presenting to. So I'm getting 
I, I see what questions they're asking. I see what they're concerned about. I'm listening to the discussion. And all of that helps me be a better consultant and maybe a better interviewer for the next set of interviews. Mm. So it's also when I get a question that I don't necessarily know the answer to, but somebody else on the team can answer that. I learn a lot about their product that I don't get because I'm not in their day to day. That helps me in the future. Yeah. Well, this, this is a great point that when you're running the win loss program, you don't need to be the one who comes up with solutions to all the problems. Like you don't need to show up to the readout with the problems and the solutions. You're just presenting the problems and the opportunities and then letting the people who are experts in, in their department come up with those yeah. solutions. People yeah. at that organization are getting paid a lot to come up with strategy on pricing. And there's a lot of product marketers and a lot of product managers. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say we shouldn't come with recommendations. Right. I think those are really valuable. Uh, but again, it's important to pressure test those recommendations to make sure that they align with with reality. Yeah, with right. the, the and I can even, I kind of want to put Kirsa on the spot because you talked about how you have that notepad and pen so you can take notes. Any examples of like, what do you do with those notes you take? Like, what are the, what are the things that you end up noting? And then what do you do with those? A lot of times it's questions. So different people will ask questions where I get, I don't, I don't know if we mentioned this at the start, but I get really nervous for readouts. <laughs> I, it, I get really nervous ahead of time. And then I get in the readout and I'm, I'm kind of stressed, but I just am eating it up. Like, I, I feel like that's a time for me to really shine with the information I know. But because it's a stressful situation for me, which other people are better at that, sometimes questions are asked that I know I know the answer to, but I cannot think of it on the spot. So a lot of my notes are, I know that, I will find that, and I will get back to you. So I'm noting down action steps for me to take immediately following that I need to follow up on. And then I'll find the answers and email them to my main contact. Um, also, any numbers that need to be clarified. So a lot of it is just questions that come up. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also marking down discussion pieces. So if if I'm giving a readout and then a discussion breaks out among the audience or the stakeholders, I just sit back and listen and I'll take notes on what they're talking about because that tells me, oh, this is important. I need to make sure I'm asking about that in the future. So I don't necessarily tell them that's what I'm doing, but that's really valuable yeah, for me. I think I do the same thing there where at, a lot of questions that I'll get might also be, hey, we just actually implemented this change. Or if somebody asks, did anybody mention this um, when they're looking for more context from a quote? Oh, can you explain to me like why that would be important for you to know? And then generally they're giving you something like, oh, this, this would be important to know in future things. So then I can just take those things and refine the interview guide a week later, email that person and say, remember when you asked about this, like I now have that noted in my guide. I'm going to ask more about that. Cool. Um, I, the only other question I have that popped into my mind was, uh, we're starting to talk a little bit now about taking action. You know, you're taking mm -hmm. notes about things that are important. And um, I think the fear a lot of people have or the experience a lot of people have is they wrap up this readout. They, they do all this work to 
pick a revenue problem, design this, this interview guide, reach out to buyers, schedule those interviews, perform those interviews, go through, look for decision drivers, pull them out, turn them into a report. It's like months and months of work. And then you present it to stakeholders and then it, nothing happens. And so what advice do you have to increase the likelihood? Because you can't guarantee that the changes are going to happen. But what are some things from your perspective, especially coming from a consultant who isn't like an employee at the business, you're not in there day to day with the clients that you serve. How, what are some of the things that you do to ensure that the, the insights and the, and the findings that you have reported on actually get like you change gets made? So one thing that I try to do doesn't always work, but I try to reserve time at the end for them to have an internal discussion because everyone got together for this meeting. So smart. And it's so hard to get people together for a meeting that especially if, if it's the executive team. And so ending early so that they can just talk through it and, and talk about action steps and, and maybe I'm guiding the conversation. Okay. Here's, here's the information. What do you think needs to happen? And, and I'll also give recommendations on based on my experience as an, as an external consultant to your business. These are the things I think you need to take. Does that resonate with you? Is that something you're interested in doing? Because for example, sometimes we get pricing feedback and everyone always wants to pay a lower price, you know, so that may not be something they want to act on. So it's also important to see, okay, I'm giving this feedback. Is that something you want to take action on? And if so, from here, where do we go? Let's talk. And about then it. I just mm-hmm. let them take the reins. And I think sometimes I get petty. And what I mean by that is if action isn't being taken, when we go and do the next report, if the insights are the same, instead of saying, you know, monthly active users was the number one concern for buyers, monthly active users was still, you know, like putting in words like that, like buyers continue to, buyers still, um, making sure you put, you keep putting that pressure in. I've and, told you about this. And really quantify that for them. And what I do is say, um, 60% of the of the deals were lost because of this thing. Um, and if it's something where I find my action is being taken, then I go back into the well and say, and actually across all of the interviews, this was the problem. And I'll give an example of that is um, we do win-loss. We mostly focus on the decision, like why did we win this business? Um, you almost never hear somebody say, oh, we picked them for their great implementation services and team. So people aren't necessarily like talking about implementation very often. And if they did, they're probably a win. And so for this one client, I kept hearing, wow, like problems with project management, implementation concerns, they're saying they're going to start churning. And I just heard it over and over and over again. And that was usually that extreme negative feedback that Kirsten talked about. And so I made sure that I was really getting pretty aggressive when I had an executive year, that I was making sure to always highlight that and just like drag them through the class with how much their customers were being hurt by this until finally it's like, we better address this and you really connect them to this. You're getting them in the front door, but I think your back door is probably like wide open. Mm. Yeah. One, one thing I want to highlight from that example is just that when 
So there are often times where we hear the same feedback over and over again. And on one hand, you know, our clients can think, oh, we're just hearing the same things. Maybe we don't need to keep having a win-loss program because it's just kind of getting stale. And the the purpose in highlighting the information that we're continuing to hear is to show that really the value in getting buyer feedback and learning why you win and lose is so that you can hear that feedback and take action on it. And if that happens, the feedback should change if you're actually implementing the recommendations and changing your business along with buyer feedback. If you don't, that's a problem because maybe the insights are stale, but your business is stale because you're not taking action on it. And so it's a it's a real red flag for me when I keep hearing the same things over and over again, because at some point, there's not much more I can do if yeah. they're not willing to take action on the insights. So the value in a continuing program is that you get feedback, you implement the changes, then something else is going to rise to the surface. Yeah. And you can you can keep eliminating those weak links or those constraints. One thing I might add is just saying, like, I love having this conversation with Kirsten because like I'm constantly, when I make a report, walking over to, you know, pressure test my own format with you or when you're making a report, I like to just look at the format because we both have different styles in the way we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the way you can do this, the way you can try to drive action, like make sure that you're doing it in a way that's authentic to you. Like yeah. there's not one way to make a good report. Great. Well, I appreciate you guys coming and sharing your thoughts. I know this this is this is probably one of the most difficult parts of win loss analysis. Not only because it's it's hard to implement change and it's hard to like to showcase all of the findings that you've made, but it's also hard because there's not like a clear right and wrong way to do it. Like Scott just said, yeah. With a lot of this other stuff, we have really solid frameworks. We have a lot of best practices. And when it comes to delivering delivering the report, it has so much to do with the culture of your company and the people that you're talking to and your own personality and the industry that you're a part of and what you found talking to your buyers and how sensitive people are to feedback. And there's so many factors that you need to take, take in. And so I think really the ultimate takeaway here is um, the best the best thing that you can do is just be mindful and be observant of the people that you're reporting to and what's most important to your business. And then do your best to deliver it in a way that's going to be best received by the people who care about it the most. So Kirsten, Scott, thanks Kim for joining us. It was great yeah. having you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. If you haven't heard yet, you can go to winloss101.com and get access to the video version of all six of these Win Loss 101 lessons, as well as some amazing bonus resources to help you get your first Win Loss analysis project off the ground. Just go to Win Loss 101, type in your email address, and you'll get free access to some of our very best content. I hope it helps you on your Win Loss analysis journey.